0: to find simple ways to boost your true wealth.
1: Welcome to the show. It's Crystal Arnold here, founder of Money Morphosis and the Money Wise Women's show. It is so crucial to begin to look at what we truly value as a culture. And this goes way beyond what is measured by money. And I am so passionate about redefining wealth and value and success and things that need a more holistic sense of What brings us a good quality of life? What makes life worth living? And so many things um, are just not measured by money and not found in the GDP. And uh, I have always loved the work of uh, Rhianne Eisler and she has been such a pioneer in this field um, of redefining uh, what what is valuable and and the caring economy and uh, just super inspired by her work. And so uh, she is our guest today. Rianne Eisler is uh, president of the Center for Partnership Studies And she's an internationally known system scientist, attorney working for the human rights of women and children and author of groundbreaking books such as The Chalice and the Blade, Our History, Our Future, which is now in 26 foreign editions. She also wrote The Real Wealth of Nations, Creating a Caring Economics. Dr. Eisler has received many honors, including honorary PhDs, Peace and Human Rights Awards, and she lectures worldwide, including the UN General Assembly, US State Department, congressional briefings, and, and is really a, a woman who is bringing forth such important uh, message at this time in, in human history. So let's dive right in. I would love to hear from you, Rhian. What What do you find most exciting about the work that you do?
2: Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me. I really think that the task that we have is to focus on what do we really value. And uh, that uh, is one of the things that I find uh, very exciting about my work, Uh, because uh, I get so much mail and so many emails from people who tell me that it has actually transformed their lives. So one of the things that I find uh, exciting uh, are the wonderful people, Uh, people who are anxious and dedicated to making fundamental changes that my work uh, brings me in touch with.
1: Yes, and and you've really been in this field for uh, for decades now, and just curious to hear no, um, how how it's evolved in the last few decades, and and maybe just um, clarifying for people as a systems thinker between the dominator and and the partnership um, economy? Well,
2: economy um, is part of a larger social system. And my research, which uh, the first book reporting uh, my research was The Chalice and the Blade. And... Um, In that book, as you said, I introduced uh, the domination system and the partnership system as two underlying ways of structuring not only our economy,
0: but everything
2: about our society, every institution from the family and education and religion to politics and economics. And why is this important? Because the conventional categories that we have been taught, um, including capitalism versus socialism, right versus left, religious versus secular, eastern versus western, as a colleague of mine has put it so beautifully, they're really weapons- of mass distraction because they fragment our consciousness. And if you really think about it, none of them describe uh, the whole system, uh, the whole social system, all these institutions. Uh, None of them take into account what we today know from neuroscience uh, that what children first observe and experience affects nothing less than, how our brains develop, and frankly, societies, if you really think about it in all our conventional categories, including socialist and capitalist, have been uh oppressive repressive violent so Uh, I drew from a database that takes into account, first of all, the whole of humanity, both its male and female halves, unlike most studies of society, which are quite often aptly called the study of man, right? But uh, looking at this larger picture, it also takes into account where we all live, in our family and other intimate relations, it was possible to see patterns, configurations, that keep repeating themselves historically, cross-culturally. And um, there were no names for them, so I called one the domination system and the other one the partnership system. And, you know... We are now in a period, and it's always a continuum. It's a partnership domination social scale. And I think we are all painfully aware that we are seeing uh, a regression. In our time, towards the domination side, not only economically, but politically, in families, etc., uh, even here in the United States, towards top down rankings of domination um, man over woman, man over man, uh, religion over religion, race over race, sexual orientation over sexual orientation. And, uh, however, the good news is that there is also, at the same time, a lot of movement towards the partnership side. And all of this questioning of economics, uh, of politics, of family relations, of gender roles and relations is part of that movement. And I'm going to pause for a moment because you probably want to get some details about this.
1: Mm. yes i I just so appreciate your extensive research in this field and and how how crucial it is for us to to look at these these questions as as society and in particular uh, the role of of valuing women and uh, women 's power and and acknowledgement and and what, what would you like to say about um, that in our modern um, climate? You know, we just had the midterm elections and it does feel like a surge of younger women and women of color um, coming into governance more and more. So uh, what, what do you feel like as, as far as uh, how women are, are uh, how we need to value women's voices and power yes. more?
2: We must, because, and and of course, you know, what happened during the midterm election is movement towards the partnership side, towards actually valuing uh, women, Um, because, look, we have had economic systems, and this is true of both socialist and capitalist theory, that fail to give economic value not only to women, but to anything, any activities or traits stereotypically associated with women and the feminine, whether in women or men. Um, so neither Smith nor Marx uh, really recognize the value of something fundamental that I bring out in my book, The Real Wealth of Nations, caring for people starting in early childhood and caring for our Mother Earth. It just isn't there. Nature was there to be exploited for both Marx and for Smith. As for the uh, really life-sustaining and life-enhancing essential work of caring for people starting in childhood, for them, both of them, both capitalist or socialist theory, that was just reproductive work. And they were just interested in what they called, quote, productive work. Uh, In other words, what happens in the market. And so when I wrote The Real Wealth of Nations, one of the first things I proposed was what I call a full-spectrum economic map which doesn't just include the market economy, uh, the uh, government economy, and the illegal economy, which is what's really counted in GDP, but also includes the three life-sustaining sectors, the natural economy, the household economy, and the volunteer economy. And when you really look at economics from that much more realistic perspective, Uh, you see that we have had in economics as well as in politics and family a gendered system of values in which anything Uh, stereotypically connected with women or the feminine has been considered less valuable than anything stereotypically connected with men and masculinity. And, of course, the questioning today of gender roles and relations, where men are questioning, you know, this notion that real masculinity is not being like a woman. It's being, it's dominating, it's, you know, conquering. And women are questioning our subordinate role. And that is fundamental to economic change because only as the status of women rises, as we redefine gender roles and relations, do we have more caring economics. And I want to give you an example in a minute, which are uh, the Nordic nations, Sweden, Finland, and Norway, which have moved more to the partnership side and which, yes, are distinguished by caring policies.
1: Such a great example. And, and it really is important to point out that there are several models of measuring um, in Bhutan called the gross national happiness and, and other ways of looking at the qualitative um, measures of life. And I feel like you were such a pioneer in, in uh, you know, really emphasizing them importance of that.
2: Well, let me continue with the Nordic nations for a minute, if I may, and then get to measurements, because that's something that I've worked on rather intensively with several economists. Um, First of all, if you look at the Nordic nations, you see a much higher status of women. They have the lowest gender gaps of any nation in the world, according to the World Economic uh, Forum's uh, Annual gender gap reports. But what that means is not only that women are half the legislatures, which we're way behind in, but it means that as the status of women rises, men no longer find it such a threat to their identity, to their so called masculinity, to also embrace more caring values. So what did they pioneer? They pioneered a very generous paid parental leave for both mothers and fathers they pioneered very good early childhood education recognizing what i mentioned that if you're going to really prepare have a healthy economy you've got to invest in the development of your people of what economists like to call human capital i mean which i don't like the term but it is in use uh, they also pioneered, by the way, the first laws uh, that say that uh, physical discipline of children is against the law. And you may say, what does that have to do with economics? Well, a lot, because like the American Pediatric uh, um, uh, Association just uh, a few days ago, issued a statement against spanking, mentioning all the research, which I've known about for years and decades, of how actually uh, physical discipline and as well as emotional trauma, not just physical trauma, really is harmful to children's development. That has a lot to do with whether we have that so called high quality human capital, right? So you really have to take a holistic perspective here, uh, and it is only as we move towards partnership, only as women and the so-called feminine have higher status, only as men leave behind these old stereotypes of masculinity being conquest and domination that you begin to get a more realistic uh, approach to economics, uh, to Uh, an economy that really fosters uh, human development and, yes, that does at the same time also recognize what Danella Meadows wrote about, you know, years ago for the Club of Rome, the limits to growth. It's all interconnected, but we have to recognize the importance of those three life-sustaining economic sectors, and that's uh, why I think that uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, for example, called the real wealth of nations a template for the better world we have been so urgently seeking, because it does offer a much more realistic path towards a really, really, healthy economy and society
1: Mm, I agree absolutely and and it seems so um so obvious when when you say it like that (laughs) I I wish more people would uh yeah really really take that seriously in, in considering the health of our families and women and children and and yeah which connects to this this, um, you know, qu- uh, question of, of measuring these types of things. Tell us a little bit more about your work in that area.
2: Well, my work, you mentioned the Bhutan happiness um, uh, measures, and I am a member of an IEEE. This is the largest um, I, as you know, Association of Engineers, and I'm not an engineer. Thank goodness. I mean, I'm a social and systems scientist, but they've asked me to be part of their um, uh, metrics group uh, because they recognize that, uh, like take Bhutan, the, the rate of wife beating in Bhutan is horrendous, and yet people seem to say that they're happy. Well, that you know, I mean, it, it, it's a very, uh, shall we say, not very accurate measure of quality of life. So the measures of quality of life that we've developed at the Center for Partnership Studies, which, as you said, is the um, organization that I'm president of, uh, really uh, take a completely different perspective Um And, yes, a different perspective from most other so-called GDP alternatives because what we look at is human capacity development and also in contrast to most alternatives uh, to GDP, they don't just give us a snapshot of what is. In other words, outputs, you know, I mean, how many kids are enrolled in uh, high quality early childhood education what a percentage of growth of GDP is invested in caring for families like in paid parental leave and so on. The United States is terrible by the way I mean it lags way behind other OECD nations in this, but it also looks at inputs what are the investments that Make for better outputs. And I really urge people to go to centerforpartnership.org and look for alternative economic indicators, or better still, look for social wealth economic indicators. And it offers a different framework, and it's a framework that's not only much more humane, but it is a framework that is much more uh, adaptive to our new economy, to this technological shift from the industrial to what we call the post-industrial service knowledge economy, uh, where, again, Uh, So many jobs that used to, rote jobs, you know, that used to be performed by people are being taken over by automation, about artificial intelligence, robotics. So I have proposed that what we need, uh, and I will repeat this again, is an economy that recognizes and rewards the essential work of caring for people starting in early childhood and caring for our Mother Earth. And if we don't do that, we simply are never going to have, if, if we only focus on the market, on exchange of goods and services, it's not going to work uh, because, you know, people are now talking about uh, unemployment due to technology and, and a you know guaranteed annual income. Well, I'd like to see that guaranteed annual income uh Particularly, reward the work of care in families, not just in the market, in the volunteer economy, not just in the market. So it's a whole different approach, and I highly recommend this frame um, to anybody who is working on alternative indicators, because um, it, it what it does, it it sort of. Uh, looks at economics from this holistic, uh, whole systems perspective, and yes, it does give value to the so-called women's work of care, whether it's done by women or men, and of course, it's our job, isn't it, uh, to see that our social and economic policies actually reward that work, which we don't in these United States, even before Trump.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, your work really points to a lot of the hidden inputs in, into our communities through the work of caring. And I'm curious if you've seen this, uh, how, how do we make this more visible within our organizations? You know, for instance, volunteers that require child care. And just wondering how an organization could value this additional support that brings uh, value into their organization?
2: Well, you know, a a big organization can do this, and actually in the real wealth of nations, there uh, are studies that show then when big companies invest in uh, on-site child care, uh, when they invest in generous paid parental leave, they are actually more economically profitable. And, of course, it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, people are more present. People are more committed to making the company successful because it is caring for them and their families, right? But for small organizations, it really has to be a community or a government, a task to support this because, you know, a mama and papa store, they they don't have the capacity to really uh, give a generous paid parental leave. Uh, so that's why this is a very, very important thing that we get our Uh, But but we can start on the local level. Uh, You can start in your community by just getting, say, your board of supervisors to have a declaration saying that we recognize that paid parental leave is essential. And a few states, you know, California among them, has started to do this, but uh, it still does not it's not good enough. Because, for one thing, as long as we have these gender stereotypes, men, the ethos of work for men is such that if they take parental leave, uh, you know, they're con- not considered good employees, right? Or women, of course, are dropping out of the workforce uh, because, you know, it's, it's, it, look. Let's just face it, we have left behind many traditions of domination including the subordination of one-half one form of human, you know, the female form, to another form of human, the male form, which is integral to domination systems, because it gives children this mental template for in-group versus out-group thinking, you know, whether it's a difference in race or a difference in religion, they, you know, they, they acquire this template before their mental faculties are formed. So you always have to look at economics and economic policies in this larger social and cultural context. Uh, And I think that the first step is changing the conversation. I mean, really recognize that, as Einstein said, you can't solve problems with the same thinking that created them. I mean, look at the enormous damage to nature, for example, caused in the by China and the Soviet Union, which were the two mass applications of socialism. You have to go beyond, you preserve the partnership elements of socialism, but you go beyond it to a caring economics
1: yes changing the conversations that is a big part of my work and and why i have this show and what i feel like was was so um important about your your books and and the caring economy uh work that you've done let's um come back to that theme of of changing the conversation and um and explore that a little bit more we'll just take a minute uh, break here
0: and we'll be back in just a moment does managing your money feel like a constant battle for you as a financial therapist and money coach i help people unpack unconscious behaviors and begin the healing of trauma around our personal money stories Together, we create powerful systems to manage your cash flow so that your money can support you fully. I basically become your personal money ally. For a free 15-minute consult, email me at Brenda at BrendaStlouis.com. Check out my website at B-R-E-N-D-A-S-T-L-O-U-I-S dot I look forward to meeting you.
3: Are you ready to enjoy greater financial freedom? Perhaps you're like Emily, a creative entrepreneur who wants to increase her income to provide for her family. Using the free video training found at discoveryourtruewealth.com, she learned the secrets to accessing hidden resources and creating lasting wealth. Emily learned a persuasive negotiation technique to bring in more money with her top clients. She boosted her credit score and opened new financial doors while reducing expenses. And she took specific steps to strengthen her existing relationships and create a safety net for her business. With the Discover Your True Wealth training, thousands of women have improved their bank balances and secured their family's future. With this free video course, you'll transform beliefs, behaviors, and skills with money. Take charge of your financial situation with the training found at discoveryourtruewealth dot com.
1: Welcome back. We are here with Rhiannon Eisler, and uh, just discussing changing the conversation of of what is most valuable and and. Uh, and what wealth is and how uh, women in particular are valued. And so let me see. I wanted to uh, to share just briefly um, with listeners about something we've been uh, developing at the Post-Growth Institute. It's called the Offers and Needs Market. And uh, people can read more at www.offersandneeds.com. And uh, quite simply, it's a live in-person 90-minute process where people actually get together around small tables and identify and exchange you know, their passions, knowledge, skills, and resources, and also their needs. And we had one here in our community a couple of weeks ago with about 80 people and there were wealthy people sitting at the table with homeless people as equals, both sharing things they had to offer and things they had to need, they needed. And uh so we found it incredibly powerful for people to redefine the marketplace as, as a place where they can actually come to care for one another. And and that really there is a need for that kind of face-to-face interaction and an ability to express ourselves and and have that in a very intimate way. Um, And so um, we'll be training facilitators for that process this spring. And I'm just curious uh, what what you see the value in this type of gathering to be.
2: Well, I think it's wonderful. I mean, I see enormous value in uh, people coming together uh, to really explore new ways of thinking and acting and being, um, we've been doing that too, um, and, but we've been doing it uh, using the new technologies, uh, webinars, and online courses and i I think this is all, of course part of the movement uh, challenging traditions of domination, isn't it? and moving towards partnership alternatives. and so we have a course also that I thought I would let people know about because it'll start again um, uh, in 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 the um, uh, in in January uh, on caring economics uh, where you can learn all about that whole new way of thinking about economics that we so desperately need uh, if we are to meet our unprecedented environmental, uh, social, and economic challenges. And we also do webinars because I want to emphasize something here. Uh, It may sound strange, but you can't really change economics without uh, looking at the culture, the society, the kinds of families, education, uh, politics that economics is part of. It it just doesn't exist in a vacuum. So, as I said, this gendered system of values is is writ large in, uh, I mean, consider, uh, so many of our legislators, and unfortunately a, a, a sizable proportion of the American public, uh, think that it's just fine. There's always going to be money for weapons, for wars. Well, that's associated with stereotypes of heroic masculinity, right? Or for prisons, you know, like the punitive father of the domination system. But somehow... We can't seem to find money for caring for people, for this women's work, right, for nutrition, for food, uh, for taking care of the, you know, of, of people's basic needs, Uh not to speak of early childhood education, even though study after study after study shows that it's the most effective investment a nation can make economically is good parenting education and good early childhood and, yes, paid parental leave. So uh, I'm, I'm really suggesting that we really stand reality. You know, we've been living with economic systems that as I write in the chalice and the blade have stood reality on its head. So let's stand reality right side up again. And, you know, we're back to what you were talking about, Crystal, which is what do we really value? And as long as we devalue women and the so-called feminine, whether it's in women or men, you know, men who are soft or sissies, they're wimps, right? Well, as long as we have those gender stereotypes, we're going to continue to have these insane policies,
1: right i I so agree, and I see incredible importance to transforming both ourselves from the inside out with our beliefs about money, which are formed in young early childhood, and then also the systems that we can exchange with and and shifting those away from a growth obsessed um, extractive economy which which is really um, really uh, causes a lot of challenge and suffering for for many people. So I want to hear more from you, like, why do you think having more open, transparent conversations about money is so important, both personally within our families and our communities, and it could include things like participatory budgeting. So why is talking about the taboo topic about money so important?
2: Well, money is a technology for, you know, I mean, it's an invention. It's an economic invention, and it can be used for good or for ill, right? Uh, In a domination-oriented society, the accumulation of money uh, is sort of a substitute for meeting. I mean, look at the barrage of marketing coming at us, and especially at young people. It makes me very sad to see... How addicted a young people are now to uh, really—I uh, mean, this barrage of—and through the social media, you know, what what kind of clothes do you have? Do you have a designer thing? I mean, it's 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 crazy, and it is not fulfilling because what people really care about is well, what makes us happy are caring connections. Studies show that after a certain a uh, level is reached you know where you can survive and you can do okay and you have some leisure and you know some opportunity to learn uh, just accumulating money doesn't make for happiness uh you know a lot of studies have shown this so i mean uh, this is really about a new world view isn't it and in a more partnership oriented world view uh where a uh, relations i mean in domination families and this is why i always go back to family children experience and observe a world view where there are only two alternatives you either dominate or you're dominated there is no partnership alternative and again uh, in two parent families but also in the surrounding communities even if it's a one parent family uh, that is expressed uh in in the in the ranking of male over female and masculine over feminine right So let's really uh, think about economics from a whole different perspective. Um, Instead of thinking of anything associated with women as, quote, just a women's issue, which I'm afraid a lot of people who think of themselves as progressives still do. I mean, I was horrified when Bernie Sanders uh, said, well, I'm going to vote for this man even though he was – against reproductive freedom for women because he backed socialist policies. Well, I mean, that is absolutely short-sighted. Uh, we have to change. Look, take, take the environment. It's overpopulation that has brought us – it isn't cars. I mean, if we had one-tenth the cars – Due to having one tenth the population, but what is it that, that, that changes population? It's having women have uh, reproductive freedom, women having life options other than uh, breeding for men, sons for men. I mean, we've known this for decades, and yet again, I have to say it saddens me to see that so many uh, organizations that want to have less emphasis on, quote, growth, you know, and all of the extractive technologies and the over, you know, I mean, the over-exploitation uh, really have fallen for this notion that our planet can feed endless numbers of people. When if you look at the World Watch Institute findings or at many other findings, it simply isn't true. The Earth is finite, and especially now with global warming, uh, we are seeing desertification. Uh, I mean, we've got to do something about population, and the only way you do something about that is, yeah, raising the status of women. Mm. So these are fundamentals. I mean, I've I've identified four cornerstones for shifting. From domination to partnership. One is childhood, the other one is gender. The third is economics, but going beyond both capitalism and socialism to a caring economics. And the fourth is what we're talking about here stories and language. You know, mm. calling caring for people just reproductive work immediately makes it sound inferior, doesn't it? And yet that's mm. what's taught in our economic schools.
1: Oh, I love how you laid out those four cornerstones. That's very helpful to uh, to understand. Um, so I'm curious, if you were sitting down right now with the president of a progressive country like New Zealand, um, you know, what are the smallest and the biggest recommendations that you would have for that uh, leader?
2: Well, uh, New Zealand has been progressive in some ways. Um I would, first of all, uh, ask them to use their position to really change how people view, the world view, Uh, to stop talking about right versus left and religious versus secular and Eastern versus Western, recognizing that none of them make it possible for us to really know what are the cornerstones for building a better politics A better religion, a better family relation, all of the things that really matter, right? Uh, Use that. Use that. Use the part, change the language. Start talking about partnership systems and domination systems. Uh, Talk about caring economics, about how this is not only good for people uh, and for our natural environment, but that it is most effective as we shift technologically from the industrial to the post-industrial economy. Uh, I I think that that's so important because if we don't have, you know, you wouldn't build a house without a sense of, you know, the the blueprint for it, right? Well, this work is not just about critiquing what is, which... uh, is really critiquing domination systems, okay, because, you know, capitalism, I mean, you know, the, the so-called supply side or trickle-down economics, that's very old. I mean, that's domination economics. It's like in feudal times, people were supposed to content themselves, right, with the scraps falling from the tables, you know, the opulent tables of those on top. Uh, we've got to change the system, and we have to think a different way. Then we can have policies that we haven't even thought about yet. Uh, that will come out of new, of a new way of thinking.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Well said. <sighs> I'm curious. You know who. Who's influencing your thought? Who, who are you reading right now? What recommendations do you have for inspiration for listeners?
2: Well, um, I um, am actually um, reading a lot of biographies. I always have because I find it very interesting uh, how people develop But in terms of inspiration, well, I can tell you a little about the new book uh, that that will be coming out with Oxford University Press in 2019 that I wrote um, together with an anthropologist called Douglas Fry, who is probably the world's uh, leading expert on foraging societies. Um, And that book is called Nurturing Our Humanity, how domination and partnership—that's the subtitle. How domination and partnership shape our brains, lives, and future, uh, and it is about some of the things that we've touched about, touched upon in our conversation here. Uh, I, I, I think that uh, my inspiration comes from having a very. Uh, more holistic conceptual framework that really recognizes the importance of the foundational relations of parent-child and of gender, which are the relations and the roles that children first observe and experience. And the four cornerstones uh, of childhood, gender, economics, and stories and language are essential because everything, politics, uh, just, you know, it it flows from those. And we have, it's not coincidental, for example, that those who are working to push us back to more rigid domination systems, whether they're Muslim fundamentalists or uh, so-called American religious fundamentalists, or whether it was Hitler in Germany or Khomeini in Iran, you know, uh, uh, or secular or religious, that for them a top priority is always pushing us back to a, pushing women back into a quote traditional family, right? Uh, into their traditional place in a traditional family, which is a code, isn't it, for a rigidly male-dominated? a highly punitive family where children learn two things. They learn that difference is to be equated with superiority or inferiority, beginning with the difference between the male and female form of humanity. And they also learn that it's okay to use abuse and violence to impose your will on others. And if we don't change that, we're really not going to change economics or politics or anything, are we?
1: Mm so true so excited to hear about that new book that sounds fantastic i uh i just love how you weave both systems thinking and theory and economics with the cultural evolution piece of of where we're going and i would love to hear more about like the legacy that you are wanting to leave i'm i'm not sure exactly how old you are but um just want to hear what what you imagine could emerge from this turbulent transformational time, um, you know, in in the decades to come?
2: Well, I uh, think part of my legacy are certainly my books. I mean, The Chalice and the Blade, Sacred Pleasure. Um, I I wrote those books to really try to understand why when we humans have such a capacity for, uh, well, for, for, really consciousness for caring for creativity there's been so much insensitivity cruelty and destructiveness and i i went way back into prehistory as you probably know if you've read the chalice and the blade and it's very interesting you know talking of economics because for example the story that we've been told remember that's one of the cornerstones uh is that yeah well Uh, It it used to be worse, but it's really, you know, sort of getting better, never mind Hitler or anything else. Well, history isn't linear, for one thing. I mean, that's something that my work shows. But uh, actually, for millennia, uh, our cultural evolution was more in a partnership direction. And if you look at an archaeological site, which I describe in detail in both Uh, the Chalice and the Blade, and Sacred Pleasure. Um, In Anatolia in Turkey, there's a place called Çatalhöyük, which uh, goes back thousands of years. And what you find is evidence of a much more equitable economics in both the size of houses and in the grave goods. And not coincidentally, you also find that this is a settlement where there was, are no signs of destruction through warfare for about a thousand years, and whereas as the archaeologist who is currently excavating Chatalhoyak, uh, Ian Hodder wrote in The Scientific American, there is absolutely no evidence that having been born male or female had any impact on quality of life or status. So we're talking about configurations, about taking into account dots that we haven't taken into account, and then we can really connect the dots in a new way. But, you know, women's studies, men's studies, gender studies, they've only been around in the academy for decades, for just a few decades, and they're still marginalized, aren't they? And the same is is true of the findings from neuroscience. They're not part of sociology courses. They should be. So my legacy, I hope, will be to help people uh, use new language, use new categories, and connect the dots in a way that makes it possible to really move forward. Uh, because if we get stuck, if we're still stuck in the old categories, we're never going to make it. Uh, it, 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 It's really fascinating to me how much new language matters. I mean, take matriarchy and patriarchy, which are the only two terms available, popularly available, in the English language for gender relations, and they're really two sides of a domination coin. Matriarchy, as much as some feminists uh, presented differently semantically uh it's not an alternative to patriarchy partnership is an alternative to patriarchy
1: right so so important our language and i've uh I've really been uh, feeling the importance of cultural regeneration and not only regenerative agriculture, which is building topsoil, but how do we regenerate our communities? And um, yeah, tell me a little bit more about how you feel like communities could be regenerative and how the partnership economy or partnership models contribute to that.
2: Well, I think that, uh, we there is so much work being done on the ground in bits and pieces to move from domination to partnership. And that work needs to continue. But if you really look at uh, modern history, which I have done, uh, you see something very interesting. You see one modern movement after another challenging traditions of domination. You know, from the Enlightenment, Uh, So-called challenge to the divinely ordained right of kings to rule and the feminist challenge to the so-called divinely ordained right of men to rule over the women and children in the, quote, castles, you know, military uh, term of their homes or the so-called divinely ordained rule of a so-called superior race to rule over a so-called inferior one all the way to the environmental movement challenging man's once hallowed conquest of nature which at our level of technological development and our level of population could really take us to an evolutionary dead end. But what you see is that while they've paid a lot of attention on dismantling what I call the top of the domination pyramid, they haven't paid enough attention to the foundations. By contrast, if you look at the people who are pushing us back, they pay enormous attention to childhood, uh, to what kind of family structure, you know, whether it was Hitler, whether it is the so-called rightist fundamentalist alliance in the United States, uh, whether it's Khomeini, it, it doesn't matter. They pay a lot of attention to gender. You know, men are, you know, male entitlement, we're beginning to talk about. That's, I mean, it isn't men, you know, men are not bad. Men have been just as limited in their human development as women have under domination systems. Uh, but these people pay a lot of attention to maintaining the old gender stereotypes and relations. They pay a lot of attention to economics, but also in the family So that, and we have studies showing, for example, in Brazil, that $1 in the hands of the mother uh, is equivalent to $18 in the hands of the father in terms of child welfare, not because Brazilian men are bad, but because it's a culture of male dominance that they've inherited, right? Where men are entitled, quote unquote, to spend their money on drinking, gambling, whoring, or whatever, uh, rather than on their children. I mean, we've got to look at the basics and, of course, language and story. So uh, they pay a lot of attention to story. My God, I mean, people pushing us back have been brilliant. Family values, well, they certainly don't value families, do they? I mean, they value domination in families, right? Right
1: right and and uh, just even basic uh, p- personal finance education is just uh, abysmal in this country and the, and then there's consequently so much shame that people don't know how to do their basic bookkeeping and get in trouble with credit card debt early on and I, I'm really interested in educating the teens as well with per- basic personal finance and understanding debt because we do need uh, do need some of those foundations pieces.
2: Absolutely. And of course, when you're talking about credit cards, I mean, that's a racket. I mean, we've got to change the rules of the game. I mean, the kind of interest that is charged to people who are late uh, and can't pay their credit, I mean, that's horrendous. I mean, so you can't just solve the problems on The individual level, you know, our society always sort of seems to blame, and I mean blame, the individual rather than the rules of the game. And we've got to do both, okay? We've got to certainly change our individual habits and and work within whatever it is. But at the same time, we've got to change the system. If we don't do that, we'll always be having problems. The problems will just shift,
1: Mm, so true, it is so true. Um, you know if listeners are inspired by this, you know what what is something that they might be able to do as women, as entrepreneurs, as younger people um to to create this better
0: world?
2: Well, I would highly recommend, and especially for young people, two things and for women um if you go to Uh, the website centerforpartnership.org first of all you'll find some fabulous recordings of webinars we've done Uh, we did one with um, for young people actually on uh, masculinity and femininity uh, um, with a wonderful African American man and a young woman who has spoken at uh, school assemblies to over 100,000 girls and boys uh, on really getting beyond the 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 the, the, the straitjackets, you know, that that have been imposed on us by the domination gender stereotypes. Uh, I also highly recommend that when we offer our courses again on partnership economics, on caring economics. Uh, I, I give a course uh, with four videos called Changing Our Story, Changing Our Lives, uh, which you can actually uh, uh, access as a self-study program. You just watch the videos, and uh, but we will be uh, uh, having one where you can also uh, next year uh, have conversations with me about uh, the content of those videos. Uh, I mean, really if we uh, we frame how we look at our place in the world and at the world that can be, that we can create, uh, we can, I mean, you, you know, cultures are human creations. We can make the culture better, and with it, we can make the economic system better. So, yeah, we've got to learn how to live with what is, but... It's just as important that we change what is to what can be. In fact, Mm. it's more important.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Um, I, I so agree and really encourage people to check out those, uh, resources there and we'll put a link in this article and, uh, and to just have those conversations with friends and, and loved ones and really, uh, you know, shift, shift our beliefs and begin to see what's possible. Are there any closing thoughts you'd like to share?
2: Well, we have a community, um, an an online platform for graduates of our uh, webinars and of our courses. And it's a thriving community where people share how they're applying this. I mean, we have one of our alumni is running, ran for Congress. She didn't make it, but that's not the point. The point is that she decided to do something, and she decided to do it in the political area. Uh, the young woman that I mentioned who has done uh, really workshops at you know at schools with hundreds of, you know, 100,000 kids, uh, Brie Mathers, uh, Love the Skin You're In is her organization. Uh, you know, I mean, she's part of our community. So I want to uh, encourage people to really become part of the partnership movement and join the partnership community, and really, you crystal, I mean what you're doing is part of the movement towards partnership uh so I want to also invite you to become part of our community.
1: Hmm. Thank you so much, Rianne. I so appreciate you as as um Someone who has pioneered the path and someone who asks deep questions and looks deeply into the, the nature of things and systems and, and then really communicates it so accessibly with, with people so that they can shift their beliefs and behaviors and create together this, uh, this thriving world that we all uh, want in our hearts. and. So thank you so much for your dedication to this work, to humanity, and to the men and women who will be benefited as women become more valued. So thank you for all the work you do. It's been a pleasure talking with you here today.
0: Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give us is to subscribe to the show and rate and review our podcast at iTunes. Be sure to visit www.moneymorphosis.com That's money-m-o-r-p-h-o-s-i-s.com to join the growing community of empowered women who are dedicated to creating the true wealth they deserve.